0: So you look in the mirror, or maybe it's the computer monitor, and what do you see? You see yourself, but you also see that self as being a little less emotional, a little more rational, maybe even better with the numbers, and making fewer mistakes, financially speaking, why it's your digital twin. And if that sounds like science fiction, if it sounds far-fetched, believe us. The technology is here, and that digital twin of yours could be arriving sooner than you think. And to tell us all about it on Dave and Darm Demystify, we have John Blick, the Innovation Manager at NAB. A fascinating chat. Stay with us.
1: From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. Darm Demystify show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two D's take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Darm Mystery.
0: Demystify. Welcome everybody to the Dave and Darm Demystify show. And this week we have a very special guest all the way from Australia. So it is John Blick who is the innovation manager at NAB and also the author of a book called The Digital Twins, which I've read and I would highly, highly recommend. So, John, do you want to give us a bit of background on yourself and then we'll dive into, you know, what your role entails?
2: Thanks so much, Sarmash, and thanks for the opportunity. I'm a kind of a weird species. I'm French by birth and I migrated to Australia about eight years ago now. And that was part of a world tour which actually started and ended in australia i've worked for almost two decades now in the world of management consulting in the world of startup scale up and i worked in financial services for almost a decade now and i've only recently joined the national australia bank as associate director for innovation and prior to this role i was running the innovation function for a very large australian insurer And my role within the National Australia Bank is to be part of a team, which is called Innovation and Partnerships. And we approach innovation from multiple perspectives. So we're a group function, and we are looking at the disruption, which is hitting hard the world of financial services. And we're also very conscious that we need to partner with fintech, but also very large tech companies to help us build new propositions Actually, banks are pretty slow at innovating and there's three pillars for this function the first one is we have to only address material problems for the bank and when we say materials we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars of addition we have to innovate 10 times faster and we have to partner that's the remit of the team yeah that's the team and any questions i'm really
3: interested because it sounds like a fascinating part of the bank to be in. It sort of sounds like the most forward-looking part of the bank. My question is, what are some of the big challenges which you've
2: identified in terms of the sort of next few years? We are only looking at H2, Horizon 2 and Horizon 3 plays, which are any opportunity to play in adjacent business and business model renewal. The decentralization of the financial services industry is a key theme. We are also looking at how emerging technologies can actually help us digitally transform. We're looking at major social shifts as well, uh, major trends such as climate change. So how do we help the bank decarbonize, but also our customers jump on this bandwagon of carbonization and sustainable finance. All the world of crypto, which is a byproduct of decentralization of the value chain is also of massive interest. And we're looking at index, the PayPals of the world, the buy of the world, taking the traditional incumbent customers. So we're trying to understand how we can be positioned to contract.
0: Wow. I'd like to, if it's okay with you, just understand a little bit about how much is being put behind this, as in, you know, is it a team of two people? Is it a team of 50 people? Is there real investment dollars going behind innovation? You know, how seriously is the bank really taking this?
2: That's a really good question because often you hear a lot about banks talking about innovation, but you don't see much. We are teaming up with the ventures. So we have a significant venture arm to help us accelerate and take big bets. When we see a strong rational and strong value in emerging players, the team is about 25. We have our separate IT environment. We have a direct uh, endorsement from the CEO to go fast and get data into planar in, uh, in a separate sample. So we are not bound to the same rules than the rest of our colleagues, which is absolutely critical when you want to innovate because you have to test fast. The way I look at innovation is how do you fail as fast as possible so that you can actually focus on what really matters? Innovation is a volumes game, you know, finding or building the next unicorn is. It's an anomaly, and great that there is unicorns, but it's actually an anomaly. So we need to be in a position to innovate extremely, extremely fast. And when our projects are going nowhere, we have zero problems in those. I think it's a smart construct. The caliber of this people is absolutely incredible, and there's money and there's a venture arm which is helping us also scanning the emerging fintech scene, which is burgeoning in Australia and New Zealand.
3: It's interesting because I've done a lot of work with Australian banks and I've always felt that they're a lot further ahead in their thinking than they realise. In fact, I think there's some of the best innovation comes out of Australia as well. One of the questions I had is exploring, you know, the remit. So it's outward looking and inward looking. So you're looking at process internally in terms of transformation as well as sort of the customer experience and you know opportunities around that, is that right
2: yes it is and we had multiple iterations of innovation like most of the major financial institutions in the world and one of the reasons why innovation fails and i think we found a way to go around this is because if you look into the future and you actually go test your hypothesis you go find amazing startups to work with to team up with and then you come back to your key stakeholders and say, Hey, here's your baby. Now sometimes it's sometimes so disconnected from the reality of the business that you can have the best proposition in the world, but if that proposition has nowhere to live within your organization, then it's going to die prematurely. So part of our remit is also to innovate with the business. So we take them on a journey very early days, which is let's go through an ideation phase to try to understand what are the key problems that you see in H1, and H1 is going to be your remit, it's not our remit, but we are going to help you build the innovation platform on H1 to then look further in H2 and H3, and we are going to take you on this journey. So we build the proposition with them, we take it into H2, H3, and then once we have proven that the proposition we're working on add legs, then we hand that over to the business for scale. Just in terms of clarity, when you talk about H1, H2, H3, for those that may not
3: understand, that's having a null hypothesis and then refining that down. Is that right?
2: Yes, correct. So H1, I'm referring to the McKinsey Three Horizons Framework, where H1 is the business of today. So the business you are in, innovate within your existing business, and that's incremental innovation, and that's vital for large organizations. But it's not the remit of the innovation and partnership team for NAP. Our remit is to play in H2 being adjacencies. So what, how can we leverage the strategic assets of the bank to go explore uh, new opportunities in adjustment markets? And then there's the horizon three, which is business model renewal. How do I leverage my existing strategic assets to completely rethink about my business model? A key example, and I'll refer to an insurance example, insurers are in the business of remediation. Something terrible happened to you, you have an insurance policy, then the promise of insurance is to remediate the damage to your property. That's H1. In H3, you would be looking at moving into prevention, which is a total different business model in which you need to build very different strategic assets. So that's this three horizons, Sort of bringing that to life a bit
3: more, you know, you mentioned climate change. I mean, that's something which there's a collision happening between finance and climate change. There is. Where is that playing? Is that sort of H2, H3,
2: as far as you can see? So it's systemic and it's actually hitting the three horizons. It cannot be ignored and in partnership with NatWest, Itao and CICB has launched only a few months ago, carbon proposition. So what we are looking at from a sustainability perspective is how can we help our major customers decarbonize their value chain, but on the same token, how do we as a bank decarbonize our value chain? How do we help our very large agri customers? On one part of the spectrum, you have a need for offsetting carbon. And on the other part of the spectrum, you have the land capacity to sequestrate, absorb carbon, and monetize this. So, what we're looking at is how can the bank be the connector? How can the bank be the orchestrator of that relationship? That's just one aspect. Sustainability goes way, way beyond it. No, it's fascinating. Fascinating. And on that topic, we also recognize that we are not experts and we need to surround ourselves with experts. So we are teaming up with the CSI role in Australia, but we're also teaming up with experts in Europe, understanding that our role to play is limited to what we can do. That's really interesting. You and I met John
0: on a conversation about a topic that has become quite dear to my heart, which is around digital twins. The current venture that I'm working in is looking at creating a digital twin for the home, right? You can see that it's a physical thing that You know you could replicate you could give all the drawings you could give all the contents and literally create a virtual version of it but what really fascinated me was your book which talks about creating a digital twin for financial services can you share a little bit more uh, listeners about
2: what you mean by that if i can digitize myself and virtual john empowered with my Digital intellectual property, my experience, the way I think my knowledge, my subject matter expertise can be available on platforms, it can be available on freelancer.com, can be available on Fever. That digital avatar can actually generate the same amount of revenue that I'm making every year through thousands of transactions and interactions, and interaction with digital humans, digital twins, or real humans. So it completely changed the paradigm for banks and insurers because how do you allocate capital to a digital human let's assume i'm making the same amount of money than in my traditional employment relationship but through thousands of transactions how do you assess the risks and even more important from a customer perspective if my digital twin becomes my main means of generating revenue that will become the only asset that is valuable for me i won't care about a house i won't care about a car i won't care about a financial services provider, which will be in a position to secure that asset for me and refinance that asset for me. And that's a major shift for the industry because industry is geared to provide support, the assumption that people are valuing and wants to own physical assets. But in the world I'm describing, I just want to own and improve a digital asset and the entire valuation collapses. From my time in the banks,
0: I could see that banks were making a lot of money out of the negative traits of human beings. The fact that, you know, we make mistakes. Oh, I meant to pay my credit card bill, but I forgot. The fact that, yeah, we are fallible, right? We are emotional about stuff. Oh, I wanted to do this trade, but, you know, I got a little bit nervous. I didn't, and then it crashed, right? But if you take those things out, and now you've got almost this perfect version of Damish that doesn't make mistakes, that doesn't forget things, that doesn't get emotional, right? A, my wife is gonna go for a digital dermish, but B, you know, where do the banks make money? You know, and I'm not saying banks make money out of humans' mistakes, but it is a big factor, right?
2: Absolutely. And it's really interesting because one of the first assumptions that we can all make is we are going to delegate high volume, low-value tasks to our digital twins. And money management sits in that bucket. So I would set financial goals for my digital twin and will delegate the achievement of those goals. And I will remove all emotions because it would be handled by my digital twin. So from a trading perspective, a security trading perspective, that could have massive consequences because the ad and flow of the daily financial market would be of no interest for that twin. It would actually not sell a security because there's a panic. But from a bank perspective, that also means that you have to completely rethink the way you are interacting with your customers and you have to completely rethink the way you are communicating with your customers. Because if the money management is dedicated to a machine, how do you communicate the right information to a machine? How do you remove the emotional levers from your messages and on which channel do you communicate? Do you still communicate on TV? to you communicate on Facebook? to communicate on social media? Or do you communicate through those digital twin stamp agencies?
3: Yeah, how do you advertise to a digital twin who doesn't
2: care about advertising? So Exactly. Banks and insurers are some of the largest spenders. So yeah, big, big challenge. It's fascinating. It sort of feels
3: quite far off, but I get your point in terms of the technology and the ability to do this is now. I've just written a piece on... The path to personalization in banking. What I say is that the mobile app of a bank is a massive asset, which they're not monetizing or commercializing. You know, so I think the answer that I'm seeing at the moment is let's do some notification work based on a bit of intelligence based on transactions. So I'm like, well, that doesn't feel like it's adding massive amounts of value to anybody, frankly. What you're talking about is a completely huge shift. I'm guessing that sits in H3, to be honest with you, or H4. Or actually, is it going to start happening faster because of issues like climate change where we have to radically rethink the way we do money?
2: What's really, really, really important to take into consideration is all of that sounds like science fiction. But it's actually not. All the technologies which are required to bring to life the scenario I'm talking about already exist. They're just not connected. And they're just not at scale. I've been working on how do you automate and how do you digitize workflows, How to use those forms of avatars, mostly to showcase innovation, but the technology is already there. This fantastic company, which is based in Auckland, which is called Soul Machine. What they've done is in two weeks, they can digitize who you are, how you look, and with their AI and machine learning algorithm. So you are talking on the screen to something which looks very much like you. The camera is actually picking up the micro expression of your face and the tone of your voice and analyzing real time your mood and your state of mind and answer your question rationally, but also send you nonverbal communication influx. The machine would be smiling at you when you're micro smiling or would look confused when you look confused. And all of that is absolutely fascinating because we're living in a world where it will soon be very, very difficult to make a distinction between who you are interacting with. Are you interacting with a human through a screen or are you interacting through a machine or a mix of the two, because you can triage. If the conversation becomes too much complex for the machine, then it can be triaged to a real human. So the real human would take the lead on the conversation, but the interface would remain the same. So it sounds like science fiction, but it's already there. And you probably heard on the news, Facebook mentioned that they were going to be the first company to be uh, metaverse centered and they have the technology and the reach to scale this very, very, very quickly. So soon this world of digital point that I'm talking about in the book could become a reality.
0: The amount of money that they're putting into it as a starter, 50 million just shows like serious intent. And I think this space is all about multiple factors. It's a bit like the mobile. The mobile didn't take off because of a mobile phone. It took off because the mobile phone became a computer, had a better screen, memory prices dropped, processing power increased, the mobile broadband increased, and suddenly it became more affordable to have this powerful computer in your pocket wherever you are, right? What happened then is internet usage massively increased. It was several factors that really drove not only mobile, but also the internet, right? You know, what you're talking about with digital twins and the metaverse and, you know, other things that are coming downstream that will just feed into this, right? I think you're right. But when it really happens on a scale
2: basis, it's going to be some time yet. If I can share what I think is the most interesting by far, and I'm an optimist by nature, so pardon me for this, but nothing stops us from thinking that we could replicate the mind of an Einstein a Nikola Tesla, Isaac Newton, or, you know, all those great French philosophers from the enlightenment and help us go through tough times. They could be the guide of humanity working with real life experts to solve problems such as renewable energy. I dream of a world where we can digitize Nelson Mandela and Mahatma Gandhi, and they can be advisors to you then. Or I dream of a world where that becomes possible and they call bullshit on all those politicians which are creating Brexit or the turmoil that we are going through in Australia at the moment. All those great minds that could live with us and guide us through tough times. It sounds like science fiction, but it's actually not. It's actually not not anymore. I've seen already
0: technology that's coming where they virtualize a sports person. For me, that might be Steven Gerrard, right, showing me how to you up either football or, you know, how to head or how to improve my shots, etc. The idea very much is exactly what you're saying, virtualization of an existing person being your coach. Bringing this back to financial services, you know, everyone could have Warren Buffett managing their money
2: nothing stops us from thinking that i could download for my digital twins some of your ip which i don't have so that i create a better version of myself and that digital twin becomes an intergenerational asset that i would then pass over to my daughter who would improve it with her own asset or an ip and then pass it over to her kids and that's a way for all of us to actually start creating intergenerational wealth and it's also a way for us to beats death and that's probably very awkward but it's also one of the dream of humanity but it also raises a lot of very interesting philosophical ethical questions and one which is on the front of mind for me is it presents a fantastic opportunity to uplift the skills of our current workforce and it's not hey let's use this technology to actually replicate subject matter expertise digital subject matter expertise and get rid of i actually think that it's a tremendous opportunity to Create a digital workforce which is going to be in charge of dealing with high volume, low value requests from customers or from business partners. Really, humans can then deal with low volume, high value conversations or transactions. But the question becomes how do you uplift your workforce? What is the management of the future look like? What are the attributes of a manager who is going to be successfully managing a hybrid workforce composed of humans and digital humans? What should we be teaching to our oh, kids? That's cool. All of that are questions, which I think are way more interesting and way more down to earth, but the industry has to ask the sort of questions.
3: My goodness gracious. There's so much to unpack in there. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. dom and I could go on forever and ever, but thank you so much for joining us, John. It's fascinating to hear what you're up to. And I mean, that sounds super interesting, but I think the digital twin thing is sort of mind blowing, incredible interview. Thank you so much for joining Fantastic. us. Fantastic.
2: Thanks so much. And thank David. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Darm Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvelous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD+, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.